Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how those Jedis used to make me smile. No, huh? You see why I wouldn't tell you about this bit before I hit record? Is that actually the Weird Al Yankovic version, or are you just, like, being random? What? There's a- No, there's not an- There's not an American Pie Star Wars. No, stop, are you kidding? Are you fucking with me? I knew about- No! Stop! I knew about- Come on! After the- You know, there's a really funny Gene joke that just happened on X's for Podcast where I'm like, I came up with this great joke. We were playing Fuck, Mary Kill with the X-Men and I'm like, I'm gonna kill Jean Grey because she's just gonna come back. Literally, I was informed by the first eight people that I told that joke. Other people had already told them that that day or they'd come up with it on their own and kind of thought it was pedestrian that I was sharing it. No, this one's just random that you've never heard of it before. That 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 song's like 20 years old. It's from the prequel era, which is fitting and appropriate because we are finally here to kick off ForceLegacy.html, the husband's talking more or less look at the Star Wars franchise, and we're going in chronological order because we hate all of you. So we are starting with the prequels. I don't know. Like, I was prepared to deal with Star Wars Cantina having done... Wait, what's the original one? I only remember Star Wars Cantina anymore. At the Star Wars, Star Wars Cantina. Copacabana. Oh, Copacabana. Okay. We talk about that song so much. We, we sing Copacabana a few times a day. We should get some sort of, like, fee for how much we plug that song. Welcome to Force Legacy. And, you know, one of the weirdest things about Star Wars is for something so ubiquitous and for something so well-known, it seems unbelievably, like, not only do we know nothing nothing about it but no one does most importantly george lucas well yeah that's always been known that would be our first and foremost point on this episode to say that there's far more to star wars canon than a lot of people especially the most casual of fans are probably aware of i grew up in a very star warsy house i grew up in a trexy warsy comicsy kind of disney house so growing up my mom was super into star wars like that wasn't even a question Question, by the way, my mother has found religion in the child, like Baby top, Yoda. Top to bottom, my mother's whole life is Baby Yoda. But I grew up in a very Star Warsy family, so I kind of couldn't imagine not knowing what some of this stuff was. Every now and then, when somebody's like, "Oh, I've never seen a Star Wars," or "What's what's a what's a Jetter?" you know, and like I get that. Sure, there's things you don't know. I was blown away when I married Kevo at the amount of Star Wars I thought I knew that I didn't know because he came from like a super Star Warsy house. But some of the shit he's uncovered i can't even fucking fathom like there's force gods yeah there's goddamn force gods yeah and this is pedal the children and that's even on the tv show we're not even talking about the deep 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 well of prose fiction known as the extended universe 
which was a series of novels to try and help keep the fervor for Star Wars alive once movies stopped being produced. The spark that ignited what was the expanded universe that most people know and love was the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn, released in 1991. We're going to go into a lot more details about Thrawn and that story over the course of this podcast, but it was a New York Times number one bestseller, and it reinvigorated the concept of Star Wars after years and years of there being no new stories, and it was in part because of these novels and this reinvigoration of the fandom that enough interest was gained to revisit it for the prequels. Now, I know that you're saying that this reinvigorated Star Wars for the galaxy, but talk to me about your own personal Kashyyyk growing up. Was the Thrawn kind of like EU stuff part of your experience back then, or is this something you've exclusively come to as an adult? Well, my brain is completely scrambled from all of the Star Wars research that I have been doing in the last couple of months for this show, because there really is so much. There were so many things produced over 35 years, and so much of it was never actually even technically valid in the first place. A lot of it is basically glorified fan fiction, and I say that in an incredibly loving way. I got my start as a writer in fan fiction myself, so I don't disparage this sort of secondary or even tertiary canon, but George Lucas himself never considered the EU canon, specifically explicitly stated it, and even went out of his way to contradict things that the EU had speculated on. There were times where he incorporated their thoughts and concepts into his own work when he liked it, but if he didn't want to do it that way, he was never going to, and that was always the rule. That was always the Glucas that held Star Wars together. And now with Gluca gone, I guess my question is, what were the things that George Lucas didn't understand that people didn't understand that he would later just go and change? Well, from my understanding of canon, like, even a decade ago, before we came anywhere near something like this, there were always these, like, six or seven different levels of canon, with the top one being G-level, which is the six movies. It's episodes one through six, and that's it. That's all that George Lucas says, yes, this is definitively, definitively canon. And then even underneath that was T-level canon, or the Clone Wars TV shows. Those, even though he worked on them, he felt could easily be contradicted if he felt the need down the line. So even those things didn't bear cohesive canon. I tried to make a joke earlier today about the levels of the word canon. Everything in Star Wars is about these giant star killer cannons. Everything's about these giant cannons. And I kind of feel like that became a metaphor for Star Wars. Just kind of blast it out into the universe. See if it works. Doesn't work. That's fine. Blast it out of the universe. Just keep using this canon over and over again. So was there another level of the continuity? Below T canon was C canon, which was continuity canon. It was all the published things that were generally considered to be canonical to the extended universe and the Star Wars galaxy at large. The things that didn't contradict each other, really, because then below that one even, there was secondary, which was crap that really contradicted a lot of stuff, i.e. the Star Wars holiday special. Wait a minute, so the level of continuity deemed continuity wasn't even officially continuity? Yeah, there was actually a young reader novel series that was the next 
next thing to come out after Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy that was titled the Jedi Prince series. It was about a mutant with three eyes who came forward claiming to be the son of Emperor Palpatine and therefore his rightful heir. It turned out that he was lying and Palpatine's son was a different three-eyed mutant. They were named Triclops and Trioculus, by the way. And this mutant offspring with three eyes had a child with a Jedi princess and that son, the grandchild of Emperor Palpatine, who was the protagonist of this young reader series, was named Kent. So at that point in Sunrise Bay, is that when they introduced Luke with two U's? Yeah, there were clones, there was Luke spelled with two U's, the Emperor came back in clone bodies, there was no consistent understanding of what the Clone Wars had been in the first place, let alone when they were. Before the prequels, people weren't really sure if Anakin went straight from Anakin into the Darth Vader suit, or if there was a possibility that Darth Vader was the one who fathered Luke and Leia, not a pre-Dark Side falling Anakin Skywalker. So, are you saying there's possibly time that Anakin could have been a spice runner in between? I mean, you're joking, but yes, there were plenty of things that weren't explored or were eventually contradicted. The Jedi Prince series that I referenced was demoted all the way down to S level canon, you know, in a lot of ways, because like I said, it was for young readers. A lot of the plots were kind of environmentally preachy, not that apparently we didn't need that, but still, you know, it it, it doesn't make for the best Star Wars story, that's for sure. And, you know, all of this was a mess. They tried to keep everything as coherent as possible, but when Disney came along and purchased the franchise, they decided that they wanted a more coherent, more cohesive story. And frankly, they've been including a ton of stuff from the expanded universe. They brought over the character who made this franchise such a hit, Admiral Thrawn, who has appeared in novels and television series already. So it's not that they aren't interested in honoring a lot of the things that were done, much like George Lucas did, but also like George Lucas, they're not obligated to make any of that can. I do want to point out that the number of people that like to name things after themselves in Star Wars is a little overwhelming. There's George Lucas who gave us Luke Skywalker there's Timothy Zahn who gave us Thrawn and I mean who can forget Mop Boop Beep Boop who gave us R2-D2 I'm gonna sit with that that actually does sweep us into our next point about Star Wars canon. You know, some of this crap is really silly. Sure, no one's taking that away from it. Some of the things that people like to poke Star Wars over actually do make sense, or at least it's something that they are steadily working their way towards making sense. One example that people frequently like to point to is Han Solo's boast that the Millennium Falcon made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. But Kevo, a parsec is a unit of distance. But Kevo, a parsec is a unit of distance. Yes, it is. And given the mythology surrounding space travel in the Star Wars universe that has been expanded throughout many novels, both in the expanded universe and even now in canon, there is an explanation for that. Kessel, a major exporter of fuel and narcotics, was surrounded by a patchy cluster of interstellar gases and debris, as well as violent space creatures and black holes. It took a tricky amount of navigation 
to make your way through this virtual obstacle course. And so ultimately, what Han Solo is trying to boast about is that he took an even riskier, more dangerous route, endangering his ship and his crew to get through it quicker. So, I mean, they found a way to make it work, even though that's one of those things they love to say that doesn't work. It's one of those ways in which fandom sometimes misses the point of stuff. Everybody loves to joke about the thing where Britta says her favorite X-Man is X-Man, but like, there really is an X-Man named X-Man, but it's so unlikely that she knows it, unless it's just a random fact she knows. But it's one of those jokes that like fandom has like reanalyzed so many times that they're able to make it work is kind of a testament to the fact that Star Wars has made it work for decades. Absolutely. And the new stories they're trying to tell are further attempts to correct what have been perceived as mistakes. A lot of people point to how easily the Death Star was destroyed. And one of the huge revelations of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, was the fact that one of the designers was trying to rebel against the Empire and specifically implanted a weak spot in the space station. What's interesting is, as a kid, I'd always thought that like Luke force-bent the blasts in there because they kind of at a funny angle and he hears Obi-Wan in his head right beforehand. So in my head, it was never that Luke did it easily, but rather that Luke magicked it dead. So it's really interesting that I made allowances for things that people ultimately needed answers for, whether it was the official canonical answer at the time or the one I came up with. It's really interesting how Star Wars fans have made the project so malleable. And I think there's something to be said for that as well, that people like to poke and prod and ask questions about things that don't really need answers. People have pointed to the fact that in Rise of Skywalker, Rey refers to Leia as master, and like people have been like, oh, but she's not a Jedi master. Like, they're just having a bonding moment between the two of them. Leia is the closest thing she has to an instructor in the ways of the Jedi, and they've been doing this for a year. Of course, she's not a full Jedi master the way that Luke Skywalker was, but Luke Skywalker is not a full Jedi master the way Obi-Wan was, and he's not one the way Mace Windu was. And if I may, they're all pretty dead. So I kind of think if everybody above you dies, even if you are the secretary of education, when somebody blows out everybody else ahead of you in the fleet, it is now up to you to defeat the Cylons. And yes, you become Battlestar Master General Sci-Fi Galactica Lightsaber Queen Dumbledore. And you just do everything that you can to not have to rig elections to hold Hold on to that power. You also said something that is an excellent segue into our next major point. It's like you can read my mind like we're some sort of dyad in the force or something. You mentioned how you just sort of assumed that Luke kind of like force bent the laser blast into the Death Star and frankly I thought the same thing as a kid. They kind of like curve which doesn't feel possible for lasers but it might just be it's 1977 and our computers are shitty. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is in Star Wars sometimes the answer actually is magic and if you don't like that then this isn't the galaxy for you the force is magic all the things these people can do is basically magic they call it something else and they try to dress it up as this sci-fi thing but then people get mad when you make too sci-fi and make it actual midichlorians you know it's just the same way that sometimes it's silly sometimes it's magic this is a science fiction fairy tale because here's the other thing if it's not magic it's kind of religion and if 
it's not exactly religion, it's a culture of worship, in which case it's little more than the NFL with lightsabers. So you kind of have to allow it to be magic or it's Quidditch. And there really isn't a lot in between. You have to accept the force ghosts exist. If the force exists, force ghosts exist. This is an unarguable going back to the first film. The sheer fact that Obi-Wan's voice occurs to Luke the way it does in a way that is so uniquely magical to the story. It would be a horrible storytelling choice for that just to be some sort of like voiceover that we imagine that he experiences. The idea that a supernatural element is tied to Star Wars, a mystical supernatural element, it, it's just unavoidable. There's a reason that Luke Skywalker is very very Arthurian in form and Obi-Wan is very Merlin and that the Empire represents the Dark Ages. It has always been part of the story and it has always been part of the intent. The concept of midichlorians are something that George Lucas came up with before he made the first Star Wars movie. He had things in his notes like Mace Windy being a Jedi and Luke Starkiller and all of these things that even if he didn't intend for Luke and Leia to be twins when he made the first Star Wars. Even if he didn't intend for Darth Vader to be Luke Skywalker's father, he did intend an enormous amount of good versus evil, light side of the force versus the dark side of the force, and the force being this powerful, semi, at least semi-mystical concept. I think part of what makes it so hard to talk about Star Wars is the all right the the didactic nature of Star Wars fandom. There are the people for whom it is religion, and then there are the collectors. And Star Wars as an entity has always been this war between Chupa Pops and Jedi Temples. And the fact of the matter is, it has always been both. It's a really fascinating commentary, and especially fascinating for it to come to us live as we are recording this. But yeah, the fact of the matter is that Star Wars has always been intended to be both. George Lucas cared so much about this story that it literally drove him insane. And yet he also cared so much about making toys. It's part of what his original pitch was in the first place. And it was part of his film pitch when he was pitching into studios, saying the sort of toys that could be made. This has always been part of the story, and it's always been a factor in figuring out the direction of Star Wars. To take a look at Star Wars' most iconic visual elements, a magic helmet, a glowing stick, and a floating fortress begging to be opened up like a micro-machine, it would be foolish to think about the designs of Star Wars as anything but that, because I talk about it maybe a little too much, but my favorite film is a film called Metropolis, which Star Wars borrowed heavily from visually, but it made it toyable. It made it toyetic. It made the idea of sci-fi futurism home video. And that's amazing. And I don't think that there is anything wrong with a certain amount of telling story by smashing action figures together. It's one of the things that brought so many of us joy from our childhoods. I understand that it was silly as fuck when those resistance fighters all burst out of a spaceship and rode across 
across the bridge of a Star Destroyer on horses. Yeah, it's real silly, but it's fun. They found a way that it kind of makes sense within the confines of the story. And, you know, like most things in a Star Wars movie, it was here and then it was gone in a flash. If enough people didn't like it, they won't do anything like it ever again. One of the magical things about Star Wars is it refreshes itself every decade. You're never stuck with anything for too long. And to bring up the deep well of canon that is the expanded universe again, there are so many things that were written as to a potential future for the Star Wars universe. So many adversaries, so many different twists and turns in the intergalactic politics of the galaxy that there's plenty of room for them to grow going forward. And as many people also know, there's plenty of room for them to grow going backwards. Even though they didn't explore much of canon within the previous 50 years before A New Hope, they liked to go back a thousand years, 10,000 years. This is a very old galaxy. The War of the Sith versus the Jedi is a very old war, and a lot of people have been rumbling about the potential of seeing the Old Republic franchise, which was a very popular storyline across games, comics, stories that told a lot more about the origins of the Jedi. And there are factions like the Knights of Ren, who are more like a cult dedicated to ultraviolence, and all these different people who have different concepts of the Force. It is such a enormous, enormous galaxy with so much room for potential that the Lucasfilm story group even encourages new storytellers to introduce new things rather than just use the old. And it's hard not to think about it that way because I feel like every Star Wars movie introduced a million things and better or worse, that was a million new fucking things. Whether it was the second film introducing Boba Fett, I am not even talking to you holiday special. Whether it's the second film introducing Boba Fett or Return of the Jedi making the Emperor more than just a glitchy glitch. It's really important to remember that Star Wars transformed every film. Absolutely. The original film was titled Star Wars. It was not Episode 4 A New Hope, and those subtitles were not introduced until 1981 theatrically and 1985 on VHS. It was going to be one movie, and they had ideas for a B-movie sequel if the thing tanked, a story which eventually was turned into the first ever Star Wars novel, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, but that even itself is a testament to the way that the story has evolved, shifted, rebranded mutated, and now is ultimately trying to find a way to be one cohesive story. And you know, to hear you bring that up, it kind of boomerangs everything back to our last major outing on the network with... With Rap Battle? Absolutely! It brings us back to all of the aliens on Rap Battle. It actually brings me back to Alien Legacy and how there was an unofficial sequel to Alien. There was a shitty B-movie called Alien 2, and it was released in Italy. It was not uncommon for sci-fi movies that bombed to sort of become Attack of the Killer Darth Vader tomato when disney first acquired star wars i was wary like most everyone else but mostly because i didn't understand what was going to be canon were they throwing everything away were people even going to like these new stories but now that it's over half a decade later and we have some more perspective on what they were going to do with these stories i have never felt more excited as a star wars fan to try and rediscover this franchise 
eyes and watch all the things that I had never watched before. I've never seen a lick of Clone Wars in my life. And that's like 130 plus episodes of new canon for me to delve into and see the layers that they have added to the canon of the Jedi that go outside of just these six movies that most people know. It feels like it took us forever to get going on Star Wars, but I'll be honest, I think it took us forever to get going on Star Wars because we started with a strong misconception of what Star Wars was. I think we thought that Star Wars was the kind of hurricane you could track, and at best you're trying to catch a solar flare with a butterfly net. It's so much more than makes sense at times that it really did take this extra amount of research. And honestly, we just got really caught up in rap battle. Can you blame us? I am very excited to finally dive in to this sea of Star Wars. I have a lot of really exciting points and factoids ready for next week about intergalactic politics and hyperspace routes. I know you're all very excited, but maybe episode one, The Phantom Menace, will finally make some amount of sense to you. I hope so. And until then, I know everybody can check us out making our super cool, super inclusive superhero comic Kid Riot over at KidRiotComics.com going on a fifth strong year or you can check out our x-men news resource at wearekrokoa.com but kevo where else can people check you out you can find me on social medias at kevo really k-e-v-o-r-e-a-l-l-y and you can find the facebook page for this lovely program husbands talking more or less at real nico kevo action on facebook nico where can the folks at home find you you guys can find me all over this network on shows like x's for podcast or over on my instagram at nico action n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n as always please hit like subscribe follow leave a review poke us in the face throw eggs at the emperor whatever you gotta do to feel good about your day but let us know that you love us and until then guys we're gonna be blasting off into a galaxy long ago far far away back before people knew they didn't like pre-ventilator darth vader and until then we'll see you may the force be with you and also with your spirit lift up your spirit to the force (laughs) 